Philippians chapter number two is what we're going to be uh, looking at here this morning. And we have been taking uh, some time here to look at some various uh, scripture passages that deal with uh, the birth of Christ, that deal with Christ coming uh, in the flesh. And as we covered uh, last week, we covered about uh, Jesus being the image of the invisible God and what that means that uh, Christ himself uh, was the one who was, uh, came as God and he revealed God to us. And um, this next portion of scripture here in Philippians chapter number two just kind of goes right along with that. And uh, next week we'll, we'll look at uh, Jesus as being the supreme sacrifice for our sins out of, uh, out of uh, Hebrews uh, chapter number 10. You know, if you're like me, you've, you've probably heard this Christmas story countless times. Um, maybe you have uh, grown up in some type of religious background where you've heard the whole story of Luke chapter number two. Maybe you've been to uh, some type of live nativity. Maybe you have a nativity uh, in your home. Uh, maybe you've watched the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special. Um, but this, the story of, of the Christmas story has been has been rehearsed several, several times. And uh, maybe already you're, you're already listening to all the, all the Christmas songs from uh, Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart to uh, Mary Did You Know, okay? Um, we've all been in, um, entrenched in, in all the stuff about Christmas. And you know, as the world tries to reconcile what the Christmas story really is, uh, I find that Christians themselves have, have lost the wonder of the incarnation of the word. Meaning that the living word, God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. I think we've kind of lost that. And so this morning we're going to look here out of Philippians chapter number 2. A passage that I believe is paramount to the understanding of Christ taking on humanity. And this passage here in Philippians 2, I guess you could probably say that it is, the, it is the Mount Everest of the incarnation of Christ, his humanity, his deity, his work, his glory. The, the babe that was born in Bethlehem is more than just a story. As Paul said about Christ coming in 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on the world and taken up into glory. So let's focus here out of Philippians chapter number two. I want to show you a few things here about Christ's humiliation. In Philippians chapter number two, in the context here, Paul is admonishing the believers here at Philippi to develop a servant mentality, a servant mind. And he uses the example of Christ as Christ humbled himself and took on flesh and became obedient unto death. He's using that as an example to show what kind of humility that we as believers should have. And so really we're going to focus in on that humility of Christ, the humiliation of Christ that he took on flesh and became a servant and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
And this here is probably one of the most powerful pictures of Christ's deity in humanity that we have in Scripture. Uh, so let's read here these verses here. First of all, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Who is Jesus? Who is he? I think that is probably one of the most important questions of all the ages. Who is Jesus? A recent survey by Lifeway revealed that among evangelical churches, churches like this, churches that preach the gospel, a survey among evangelical churches... That people don't understand who Jesus is. They asked these churches, groups of churches, they asked churches several different kinds of questions. And one of the questions they asked was this. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? And among these evangelical churches... 73% of the people of evangelical churches that they surveyed strongly agreed with that statement. Now, if you're a Jehovah Witness, that statement is good. Listen to the statement again. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That's false. Christ was not created And so who is Jesus? That's bad theology that people do not know who Jesus Christ is. Many people may know the general details of the Christmas story, but they don't really understand why this particular birth in Bethlehem was so important. They have the facts, but the facts seem to have no meaning. It's more than a story. This is about Christ's humiliation. So in his humiliation, it reveals Jesus as God, not Jesus being created as a God or not Jesus as being a creation of God, but Jesus as God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Christ's humiliation reveals Jesus as God. What Paul is writing here is very bold and it's very powerful. Listen to these verses. There's these, there's these words here in verse number six. Look at this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. That word was. Look at that. Who, though he was. In the NSAB, it's the word existed, who, although he existed in the form of God. In the KJV, it's the word being, who being in the form of God. This word was or existed or being, this word translated describes a person in his very essence, that which cannot be changed. That which cannot be taken away from him. 
Paul was saying that the Jesus that men and women saw, heard, and touched was unchangeably God. The baby that was born in a manger was not a lesser deity because he had taken on human flesh. He is continually, constantly what God is. The Son of God was, is, and always will be what God is. He is always God. Look at the second word here. Who, though he was in the form of God. He goes on to say that Jesus was in the form or in the very nature of God. There are two words for this word form, and both of them are different. The word Paul uses for Jesus being in the form of God is morphe. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. It means he never alters that, is to say his unchangeable being is divine. Jesus' form was that of the unchangeable God. Sometimes when we look at somebody, we, we talk about their form or what they look like. And it could be, we could say, this person was a baby. And then they became a little toddler. And then they became a little child. And then they became a teenager, then a young man, and then an old man. That's not what Paul is talking about here as being the form He's talking about that which does not change. Hebrews 13, uh, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so Paul is very careful in choosing his words here. And he knows what he is saying. He is proclaiming that Jesus was fully God. And that is an outstanding claim. I mean, that is exactly why the Jews wanted to stone Jesus, because he said that he was God. In John 1.18, John writes that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known or exegeted him. He has, he has declared him. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1 through 3, it says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, though whom also he created the world. He is, who is? Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And of course, we come to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And so when Paul uses that word form, he's talking about the very nature of God. That he is God. That it is unchangeable. Then we see this word equality. So look what he says. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. 
As a human, Jesus Christ never ceased to be equal with God. The word in John chapter 1, 1 through 2, says that he never ceased to be that word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He never ceased being that word. And so the babe of Bethlehem is the God of the universe 100%. And then look at this last verse, this last word here. He says, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This word means to plunder. If in the uh, King James, it uses the word uh, robbery. And he did not uh, consider it robbery. And uh, so this is the only time, actually, that this word is used in the New Testament. It's a very unique word because of its meaning when applied to the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God and equal with God, and it was not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, in Isaiah 14, we actually get a different picture of, of that when we apply it, especially here to uh, Philippians chapter number 2. Uh, in Isaiah there where uh, Lucifer, he realizes the, the glory that is all of God's. And what does he start to say? He says, I will ascend. He says, I will be like God. He wanted to be higher than God. He wanted to steal away his glory but that glory only belonged to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we see here that Jesus here, he possessed that full glory. It was his and he did not consider it robbery or he did not consider something to be grasped, to be taken away because it was his. But there's another meaning uh, for this word when we talk about that, about something to be grasped be held on to. Uh, for those of you that have uh, toddler age children or have had toddler age children, you know that when you give them something, it becomes theirs. And when you try to take it from them, what do they do? Mine. But this is what's so awesome about this. Jesus, as we'll, we'll get to here uh, in the next set of verses, Jesus, it says that it was not something to be grasped. Jesus willingly, willingly let go. And moves us into our next set of verses here. So in the humiliation of Christ and Christ's humility, it reveals Jesus as God. Look at this secondly, it reveals Jesus as a slave. So because Jesus was not something to be grasped, it reveals Jesus as a slave, Philippians chapter 2, 7 through 8, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only is Jesus God, but he also says here in this next set of verses that he is also man. Notice what the text says, being born in the likeness of 
men being found in human what? Form. There's that word again, form. So God the Son became a man. He took upon himself human flesh for the purpose of redemption. He did not subtract deity, but rather what he did is he added humanity. He became 100% human. While on earth, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He is the God-man, not 50-50. He is 100% God, 100% man at the same time. It almost seems impossible, doesn't it? And when you think about that and you dwell upon that, your mind wants to explode. How could that be possible? Well, again, we're talking about God. We're talking about the one who spoke the, word, the worlds into existence. He can do anything because he is God. And this is what the scriptures affirm for us. This is really a great mystery of the babe being born in a manger. How could God become dependent upon man? He had all the power and authority of deity, but as a man, he had to endure the limitations of the physical. He experienced sleep, aching muscles, hunger, frustration, splinters, temptation, and even time. God operates outside of time. And now he steps into creation and now he is bound within time? How is that possible? He had to walk, pray. He felt emotions. Augustine said this about Jesus being God and man. And I love this. Man's maker was made man. That he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger. The fountain thirst. The light sleep. The way be tired on its journey. That the truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. This is more than just a story about a babe being born in a manger. It's about God becoming man. Jesus didn't come in royalty, a political ruler, or some type of dignitary. Notice what our text says that he came as. He became a servant or slave. Because of this, many people rejected him. And they still reject him. He was not the Messiah that they wanted. He was not a king, but he came as a servant. And look at our text again in verse 7. It says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. What is this emptying himself of? There has been dissertations, books, papers written about what this means. It does not mean 
that Jesus put aside his divine nature. He was in the form and being of God. Then what did he empty himself of? By being born as a man, Jesus makes himself of no reputation. He allows his own divine, exalted standing to be subjected to human hostility and human criticism and denial. He doesn't just come as a man, but as a slave. And as a slave, there is no exaltation, there's no dignity, and there's only indignity. And so this really points out to us what it says in verse number 8, that it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbles himself. You know, often in our own lives, we are often humbled by circumstances, other people, and ultimately God. How often do you ever actually humble yourself? Probably very rare because we're very prideful, selfish, self-centered human beings. But it says that Jesus humbled himself. The lowest of the low, a servant, a slave, he humbled himself. In John, uh, in the book of John, we find there before Jesus was going to uh, go to Gethsemane and pray and then ultimately be uh, taken, uh, arrested, and, and crucified, that there is with, when he's there with his disciples, he institutes the uh, communion, the, the Lord's Supper. And as they're sitting there, Jesus rises up from supper, he girds himself with the towel, and he stoops, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. That is such a beautiful, awesome picture of Christ's humility. The maker of everything, the creator, stoops down and does that job of a slave. Washes his disciples' feet. And so he humbled himself. And as a servant, Christ becomes obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. What a cruel way to die with no dignity. We often read that most of the, the, the people that were hung on a cross to be crucified were hung in open shame in all of their nakedness. And Christ humbled himself. And as we think about his birth, we cannot overlook his death. Because without the death of Christ, there really is no Christmas. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice for sins. The Son of God had to become one of us in order to die for us. He had to take upon himself human flesh in order to die in our place. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The Bible is very clear on this. You and I have failed in our efforts to be holy. We are unrighteous. And so it's clear that there is a capital offense for sin. It is death. 
And those who are without Christ and those who die without Christ will be separated from God forever in the lake of fire and have God's wrath abiding on them right now. And so Jesus' death on the cross was for us. He took the wrath of God for us. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so Christ, it reveals Jesus as a slave, his humiliation. It reveals him as a slave, one who came for us, one who came to die for us. And that really moves us here to our third point here. Because of Jesus' humiliation, it reveals Jesus as exalted. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, because Jesus took upon himself the form, the likeness of man, the flesh, because he became a slave, because he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. So because of Christ's humiliation, God's word says that Jesus has been exalted. The name of Jesus stands above every other name. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door, the good shepherd, the vine, the bread of heaven, the living water, the light of the world. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's the lamb of God, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Messiah, the Emmanuel. He's the son of God and son of man. He is Lord, Savior, and Redeemer. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the king of glory and the great I am. He's master, ruler, and the hope of our salvation. And so truly. Truly, God has given him a name that is above every other name. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so his name is the only name whereby sinful persons can be made whole. It is this name that is exalted above every other name. You know, there is coming a day when Christ will stand not as the innocent babe of Bethlehem, but he will stand as the mighty Lord and judge of the universe. And when he returns, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation... When he returns, he will judge the earth. He's coming as a mighty conqueror and a mighty warrior. And so the birth of Christ is more than just a story. And so if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know who he is, I urge you, I urge you to repent of your sins, turn to Christ, receive Christ. 
Don't stand in judgment. Don't stand there with the wrath of God already abiding upon you. Repent. Believe the gospel. And if Christ is your Savior, stand in awe and wonder of Jesus taking on flesh for us, being made in the likeness of man so that he might redeem us. Let's pray together.